We're all very used to this idea of going easy on yourself. Don't blame yourself for everything. It's not necessarily your fault. There's so many other factors that could have played into this and that and whatever. And I think all of us are familiar with this sentiment, with this idea of comforting ourselves when things go poorly. A lot of people make fun of the current generation of young adults and adults for being soft, being entitled with eighth place trophies and whatnot. What if the whole finding an excuse for things that went wrong, what if going easy on yourself, what if not blaming yourself is actually the problem? Welcome to ROSC, a podcast revolving around healthcare mindset and leadership tactics that we can all implement at an individual level. If you're new to the podcast, welcome and subscribe and keep listening to all of them and spread them with other people. But to give you an idea of what the purpose of this podcast is, it's really what I describe as public access to my private journal. Um, tactics and techniques revolving around growth mindset, leadership, extreme ownership to help myself and by extension, each and every one of you who are listening, develop sort of principles and ideas to take to work and take to life that might help us create a culture that's a little bit different, a little bit better, a little bit more optimistic, a little bit more supportive within the healthcare space. And this doesn't just apply to people in the healthcare world. Um, I'm sure people outside of the healthcare world can benefit from it, but nonetheless, that's what it is. If you haven't already, check out the website, www.rosc.life, www.rosc.life. And basically that's a hub for all of the written blog posts. And you can sign up for the newsletter, which gives a three bullet point summary of the podcast slash blog post of that week and gives you a link to the podcasts as well as to the blog post. And we'll keep you up to date with whatever projects are going to be coming out in the near and far future. For now, thank you for being here and enjoy the podcast. So now that I have your attention with this idea of blaming yourself for everything, what if that's the right way to go? Now, I do have to make this sort of disclaimer that this isn't necessarily the approach for everybody to take. Um, you know, there are people out there who suffer from diagnosed clinical depression, anxiety, um, and things of that nature that might be the overbearing force in your life. Those are the things that you need to tackle first. Now, I am of the proponent that pharmacologic therapy is definitely an adjunct, and I think as well, especially in my own life and the things I've seen with other people, mindset, cognitive behavioral therapy, talk therapy, having a therapist, having a person to speak to, having a professional who can help you and guide you along. All of these are extremely vital. They take priority and you got to do what you need to do within what is healthy for you and what is beneficial for you and not harmful to you to get yourself out of whatever situation you're in. And you can get out of it. And I'm not just saying that to be like, super fluffy and like rainbows, you can. It's all just neurochemistry. Literally every thought you have, every sentiment, every emotion, every feeling, your bodily reactions are all a result of neurochemistry. Neurochemistry is made up of minerals and proteins and carbohydrates and fats and the things you take into your body. Everything comes down to these chemical interactions and these neuron gaps. And that might sound like an oversimplification, but if you can really think about it from an anatomical and physiological perspective, it helps you understand that whatever situation you are in, there is a way, there's definitely a way or ways that can come together to help you and to get you 
onto your own feet and back into who you really are. Anyway, I'm not a psychiatrist, although sometimes I think maybe I should switch to being in psychiatry because it seems a lot more enjoyable. Uh, nonetheless, I'm not a psychiatrist, and that's not my professional field. But from the perspective of another human being, I just sort of went on that little stream of consciousness. Take it for what it's worth. Don't give up. Stick around here. Maybe I can help. Maybe we can help. You have full access to me through email, which is podcast at rosk.life. Go straight to me. Um, and yeah, just reach out. Now that that semi-tangent's over, now it always feels really good to be able to release steam, to vent, and to be able to put the blame of some problem on someone else. It's easy to commiserate. It's so reflexive for us as individuals and as a society and as a healthcare force to just look at the problems that are happening around us, look at how stupid this person was, look at the decision this person made, look at this mistake this person made, and anytime we're involved in a chaotic mess, we just sit there looking around at all of the problems that are around us. And it feels good and it feels like a relief sometimes to be able to just look around and blame everything else because at least it wasn't me, at least I'm not the problem. I would argue, first of all, or I would ask the question, when is the last time you did something like that and actually felt good? Really the only good feeling, quote unquote, is being able to sort of momentarily tell yourself of how big and smart you feel that you're able to pontificate and give this feedback into the, the air about how stupid that thing is and how much better it should be and they should do this and this should be that and look how dumb this was and maybe you feel good for a little bit that you felt smart, that you felt critical and that means that you're in some higher position. I would make the argument that that's actually one of the key features that is ruining your life and making you as miserable as you very well might be. And not only miserable, because that's just on the surface level, but actually making you non-functional. It's debilitating you. Looking at the idea of consoling yourself, soothing yourself in moments of vulnerability or moments of sadness or moments of self-reflection and you come across something that you don't really like or you you know as a, you see kids losing sports events and all these different areas that allow us to look at the problem look at the failure quote unquote look at the um the suboptimal performance of something and pick apart the things outside of us that other things had to do with it that other people had to do with it and comment on it. And where that stems from is the moments of insecurity and the moments of vulnerability where we look at ourselves and we need to find a way to make ourselves feel better. I think that this comes from an extreme discomfort with failure for sure. And it goes back to the growth versus a fixed mindset of either your fixed mindset is uh, basing your ego and founding your ego on fixed traits like being smart, being right, being capable, doing things quickly versus a, a growth mindset where your your brain and your ego are attached to the things that allow you to grow. Your, your ego is built on being a learner. Any chance you have to learn, you gravitate towards that because it will directly boost your ego. Growth versus a fixed mindset. And I was actually listening to something today that actually applied to that, the idea of being a, a perfectionist out of a complete discomfort with failure. 
it's going to be another topic we're going to address later on. It's going to come back to this topic as well. But that that's the argument that being so uncomfortable with failing and not knowing how to handle failure and using it as a sample to then step up and grow gravitates us towards the self-soothing of it's not your fault or that's not true. You're not really this. You don't feel you don't actually act like that. What happens after that is you build that habit loop in your brain. You build that loop. Those neurons start to fire in that direction. And every situation that presents itself in a way where you at least contributed or were the sole reason for a problem to occur somewhere where you fell short, somewhere where you were falling short in your life, at work, in your clinical performance, in your academic performance, as an administrator, whatever the case might be, the more times you lay down the wiring for that thought process, the easier and faster it'll fire the next time you see that situation. Because your brain is, it's a familiar scenario. It doesn't matter what the context of the scenario is or the details, there is a pattern of feeling that you get, that you take in, and your brain will just, I remember that, and it'll just go back to that path. It's not gonna waste time trying to parse it out if you don't take the moment to stop, step back, and evaluate it, and then fire those neurons off to try and use like your cognitive brain power to be able to analyze the situation. What happens over time, what I've noticed happens over time is inevitably, every situation you're just gonna be like, not my fault, not my fault, not my fault. This is the, the, that's the problem, this is the reason. I had nothing to do with it. Despite my efforts, whether you put effort in or not, despite my efforts, this happened. And when you're in a mode of self-preservation like we've talked about in the past, when you're in that mode of self-preservation, you're not actually thinking about what's the best plan of action, what's the right plan of action, what's the truth. You're just thinking about what do I need to say to settle down the waves that are occurring right now. You might make something up. You might twist the truth. You might say something that's true, but a matter of perspective. But in this scenario, the common denominator is figuring out how to self-soothe and offload the blame. What you can see is going to happen after a period of time is that habit loop is going to become so ingrained that you won't even need to think about it. And now the icing on the cake is when we work in an environment of self-preservation, when someone's looking to drop the hammer, when people are sort of okay with things happening the right way or the optimal way, but when something goes wrong, it doesn't take very long for someone to come down on you. Why on earth would you ever want to take the blame? Now you're hearing the term self-blame, blaming yourself. It's a very heavy word. It's a very accusatory word. It's very finger pointy. And people might get turned off from just hearing that. That's the point. I'm using it to be evocative. I'm using it to get you sort of riled up and get your attention. But if you can speak to yourself in a very specific way, not necessarily speaking to yourself in a way of blaming yourself, but speaking to yourself from a perspective of what did I contribute to this situation? Because everybody always contributes to a situation. And if you didn't contribute to a problematic situation, your lack of contribution could very well be part of the problem because any intervention could have shifted things in a different way. One thing that I've always said is it takes two to argue, but it only takes one not to, right? It takes one to resolve a problem. So as long as you are involved first person in something, you either are contributing directly to the problem or contributing secondarily by not contributing to anything. 
And so when you look at a situation with all of the other reasons why something could have gone wrong that you cannot change, physically can't change anything, but you can change how your interaction is, how your reaction is to something, then things start to become more interesting. Then you start to assess every situation and say, what could I have done differently? What could I have done better? And you've heard those terms before, which is why I'm using the self-blame term. Because everyone always hears, what could you have done differently, right? And you hear these terms again and again, and the more you hear it, the less impactful it is until there is an emotional connection to the next time you hear it. You experience something, and then you hear that same piece of advice, and all of a sudden, it's like you've heard it for the first time. So I'm trying to shake things up in that way, that maybe hearing it a different way will get you to think of it in a different way. Using these principles and this practice, I, I have become more and more um, reflexive in thinking to myself, well, how did how is this my fault? And the thing that's really crucial about that is that's a situation where my brain isn't thinking that it's my fault. My brain is thinking to myself, there is clear objective evidence that this is not me. This is the action of someone else or the lack of action of another person. But when you take a situation where you don't see any way how you've contributed to it, and then you ask yourself, how could this be my fault? Then things get really interesting. Because when you ask that question, you're going to start looking for the areas that you contributed. And that will uncover things you didn't realize are there. But it also, even in a situation where it wasn't your fault, might uncover things that you can just manipulate to get things in the right direction. I use the word manipulate, but like things that you can change, things that you can alter, things that you can correct or have an effect on that you didn't previously have any input on, but just asking yourself the question shifts things. And now here's another harsh reality. Most people in most situations, when they are forced to think about asking that question, when there is no obvious thing that they contributed, for those of you who get over that hump of that initial feeling of, I didn't do anything wrong, next question. When you actually stop and start to look through the list of things that you could have contributed, even if nothing was your fault at all, you're going to get hit with the feeling of, yeah, but that's no fun. Yeah, but that's not, that doesn't feel good right now. Like, I don't, like, this is not one of those situations where I want to make it, like, I want to contribute in that way. Like, I don't feel like that. And that is a recurring theme of everything. No one's coming to your rescue. Nothing's ever going to feel good to do. And when it does feel good, that feeling is going to be so short-lived. For most people, you'll have that feeling of motivation. And by the time you actually get to doing it, that feeling's already gone. Doing the hard things, doing things when they're uncomfortable, all these things you've heard, it all revolves around showing up when you're in the dip, showing up when you're at the bottom of that feeling of wanting to move. That's when you know you've made it through. That's when you know that you're consistent. So, and we'll talk about this more in other posts and podcasts, just remember that when you have that feeling of like, you want to, you, you, you know the right thing to do, you know the better thing to do, you know the more productive thing to do, and you know that while you really feel that enjoyment of commiserating and complaining and moaning about something, that you know that that's not productive, you're going to be met with that feeling of, yeah, but I don't want to do that. Yeah, but that doesn't feel good. And let that be a signal for you from now on that that's where the money is. That's where the gold is. That's the thing you're going to want to do. Yeah, you feel that way? Too bad. 
on the other side of that feeling is what you know is better and what will lay down one of the bricks towards the path that's going to make things better for everybody always all the time for the future. Yeah, it's that big of a deal. And here's the final point. Blaming yourself or taking ownership of every situation and asking yourself what I could or could not have done to make that situation better than it was, if you don't want to use the term blaming yourself, we can use that long explanation sentence. That is the ultimate form of freedom. Why? I'm going to use the example of elephants in the circus back in the day. I don't know if this is still done or not, but back in the day, certain circuses used to train elephants into a form of learned helplessness. Now, elephants are giant beings, and so the first thing you're going to want to do is strip them of their power. What they used to do with baby elephants is rip them away from their mothers, obviously the first step to capturing them, and they would chain opposite ends of the elephant, one hind leg and the opposite front leg, and they would put food in front of the elephant. And every time they would have the elephant go to get the food, they would pull on opposite chains and the elephant would fall. They would do this again and again and again until... You put the food in front of the elephant and the elephant does not go for the food because it has learned that it can't do it. Learned helplessness. No one is pulling at the chains anymore. No one has to pull at the chains anymore. The elephant just won't go for the food. It has learned that it cannot get the food, even when the obstacle isn't there anymore. Another way of looking at this, rather than calling it learned helplessness, is developing the victim mentality. Now, this is not in any way discrediting the idea of being a victim. There are people who are victims of crime, victims of oppression, victims of injustice. That's, that's there. That's not what this is about. What this is about is creating the feedback loop in your brain of the woe is me mentality. And you might not necessarily be saying woe is me. But the sentiment will always be there. The sentiment of, oh, if only this happened, then things would have been better. This is the reason why this went wrong in, in my life or at work or in this case or this scenario. That's trapping you. That's the chains on your ankles. Blaming yourself, using that term again, or the other long explanation, taking accountability of a situation in order to evaluate what you could or could not have done differently in order to affect that situation in a way that would have made it better than it turned out. I know that's not the same sentence I used before. It doesn't matter. Using that and developing that loop again and again and again to the point where every situation you come across, you start to automatically think in that direction. Or even if you don't automatically think in that direction, you have tasted the sweetness of taking control of a situation and making a difference enough times that you want to go towards that, that frees you. No one can stop you. Because even if a situation comes up where you had nothing to do with it, you will be the one to look at it from a perspective of not what did I do to contribute, but what can I do to make that situation different now or the next time? Finding ways to offload the blame from yourself to someone else about any situation that occurs it does one thing every single time consistently, and that is give up control. Taking accountability of every situation, giving yourself the credit for when things go well, and giving yourself the responsibility for when things go wrong, or finding a way to have an amount of responsibility and then using that to sort of 
feel like you have the permission to make a difference, that gives you ultimate control. And even if that's only 1% of the situation and 99% of it is out of your control, that 1% is the 100% that matters to you. Whether it's nature versus nurture, or it's a situation at work, or it's a situation with family, whatever the case is, all that matters to you is that percentage that you can control. That's your 100%. And that's what allows you to live and to lead. We'll see you next time.